Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke 14, 15 through 24. When one of those who reclined at the table heard him say these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent to a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I can't come. So the servant said, came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to a servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben. Well, good morning again, and uh, so glad that you're here with us this morning. And the beginning of a new year is always one of my favorite times, so happy new year. Welcome to 2018. And uh, I've always enjoyed kind of that sense of a fresh start at the beginning of a new year, but sometimes I think the anticipation of the, the new year it turns out to be better than the actual new year, because something happens every January 1st. I, I wake up, uh, you wake up, and we're still the, the same people that we were on December 31st, uh, and uh, we're, we have the same life. And um, so I think sometimes coming off of that holiday season, too, there's a sense that now life is going back to sort of life as usual. And, and in some ways, I think that can feel overwhelming, uh, looking ahead at, at all there is to be done, uh, seeing those uh, credit card statements from Christmas shopping and travel, those bills start coming in, and Uh, feeling overwhelmed by the to-do list, and yet also at the same time maybe feeling sort of just bored and blah, even though there's so much to do. Um, And so I just want to begin this year by by asking, are are you in the mood for something different than that, something simpler? And as we begin this new year together, uh, we're going to spend three weeks looking at three of Jesus's teachings in the Gospel of Luke. And our hope is that in these three messages, as we look a little bit at time and lifestyle and attention, that they'll set us up on a trajectory for this year of, of living this year simply different. And as you see, the life that Jesus invites us to is both simple and different. Uh, simple in that it's clear in its priorities, uh, not in that it's easy. Anyone who's uh, taken seriously the, the claims of Jesus and the scriptures knows that a life with Jesus is not an easier life, but it is better. It is simpler. And it's also different. The life that Jesus invites us to live it, it will in ways feel and look uh, odd at times to us and, and especially to those around us uh, in the world, but it's a life that is better. It's, it's simpler not easier. (coughs) It's different, but it is better. And so as we prepare to embark on this for the next couple weeks, three weeks, um, I just want to begin by by praying and asking for God to really help each one of us in this as we go along. So Father in heaven, thank you that you've given us a new year, that you've given us uh, 2018. And we pray that as we uh, enter into this, as we seek in fresh ways to uh, think about our time and 
lifestyle and attention. Um, that you would be at work in, in each one of us. I know I need these things and uh, pray that we would be open to what you uh, might want to do in and through us through these passages, these teaching of Jesus um, this morning and in the next several weeks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I still uh, remember it so clearly, uh, looking at the caller ID in the darkened car as we were driving along the highway that night. It was uh, a late night in, um, let's see, it would have been 2015, it would have been uh, fall, October specifically, and we were halfway between Kansas City and Michigan. And and maybe some of you remember there was something exciting happening uh, in Kansas City in October of 2015. And uh, it, it kind of ended in, in a big parade downtown. Um, and I picked up the phone, and the voice on the other end of the phone said, Bill, I'd love for you to be my guest at Game 1 of the World Series. Now, for those of you that know me, you know I'm not a big sports fan, but I am a huge baseball fan. So a big turning point for that in my life was watching Ken Burns' 18-plus-hour documentary on baseball. It's fantastic. I think it's a must for all Americans. So if you haven't carve out some time this year, watch it. It's fantastic. Uh, and in that season, I had listened to nearly every game on the radio. Uh, I'd gone to a lot of games. I, I'd kept score when I was at Kaufman in my own scorebook. And uh, going to the World Series, what a dream come true. But I was on the highway, and with each passing minute, I was putting another mile between me and Kaufman Stadium as we headed on a long uh, planned, long, far in advance planned family trip to Michigan. I was going to be in Kansas City for game one, the World Series. And it, was, it was an agonizing moment. It was an incredible invitation, but one that I missed because I had said yes to something else first. Have you ever had that, uh, a moment like that? An incredible offer, an amazing invitation, but you weren't sure if you were able to say yes or you'd already committed to something else? Well, Jesus tells us in the story this morning, a parable, he calls it, he tells us a parable about an invitation. And in it, Jesus shows us that we can reject his invitation simply because we are too busy. We can reject his, his invitation simply because we're too busy for him and what he loves. Uh, not because we, we have some kind of hatred for him or because we're so angry at him, but simply because we're too busy. And this is a trap that we all can fall into so easily with our time. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we want to hear Jesus' warning that we can reject him and his invitation almost without realizing it simply because we are too busy. So I think first we, we miss out on Jesus' invitation and, uh, and we, because we don't really understand it. That we can miss out on Jesus' invitation because we don't really understand it. Um, have you ever had that experience of, of saying no to something that, because you didn't really understand what it was you were being invited to? Uh, that, that almost happened to, to me once. I was invited to play uh, Whirly Ball. Has anyone ever played Whirly Ball before? Uh, it, I've got a picture of it here. And it... <laughs> I mean, it looks, and this is the best picture I could find, and it still looks really lame. And when I heard about it, I was like, this looks really lame. So you get like grown men in bumper cars, like trying to fling a ball into a net. It's kind of like bumper cars and basketball. 
mashed up together. And I was at this conference, and this was like the downtime team building thing. Oh, we're going to go play Whirly Ball. I was like, this just looks so lame. And we got to the place, and I'm watching other people doing it, and it still looked really lame. Because when you're in the cars, it does feel like you're going fast. When you're watching, it's like, this is, these are moving so slowly. It looks so dumb. But then I played, and it's amazing. I mean, you look like a complete fool, but it is amazing. It's so fun. But I, you know, I almost said no to that invitation because, I, I mean, this picture, I just thought this looks lame. This, I didn't understand what I was being invited to. And that can happen to us with Jesus. Um, it happened to people around Jesus in the first century a lot, that they, they didn't really understand what his invitation was all about. And so he tells a story here to clarify and in the story, uh, this parable, it, it's prompted by a comment that someone makes at dinner. Jesus is uh, gathered around the dinner table. He's at the home of a religious leader enjoying a meal on the Sabbath. They're all eating this big meal together. And it had already been quite a party, quite a day, because earlier uh, Jesus had actually healed someone there at the Pharisee's house on the Sabbath which the Pharisees, these religious leaders, kind of considered that work, and you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so there was kind of a lot of discussion about should Jesus even have healed this person? I mean, it's just a clue already that maybe they don't fully understand Jesus and his invitation, what he's all about. But as the meal goes on, one of the other guests around the table, uh, perhaps fueled by a little bit of wine, that's just my speculation, but he looks around at the table and everyone gathered there, the religious leaders, kind of the moral and religious lead of the day, and he declares that surely these kind of people, Jesus, gathered at the table, they are the ones who will be blessed in God's kingdom. And just exclaims this. It's what we find in, in verse 15, if you look again. Uh, this is how Jesus responds to that story in, in verse 15 of Luke chapter 14. It says, when one of those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, said to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now let's just pause for a moment here in the story, because we need to understand what's happening, the, the cultural context, the background for, for what's happening in this story that Jesus is telling. And you see, in the first century culture where Jesus lived, hospitality was really important. I mean, hospitality has always been important. It's important in our culture, but it's particularly important in Jesus's time and culture. And when someone was throwing an amazing banquet like this, they, they would spend months planning for it. In fact, much like we do with a wedding today, you'd send out a, a save the date and an RSVP long in advance, well ahead of the actual banquet, and the, the guests would respond with their intentions. And this is exactly what the man in, in Jesus' story does. And note that Jesus says this is a great banquet. And he invited many. This is going to, to be the event of the year for those who'd received the invitations. The, the best food, the, the best DJ, the perfect location, an amazing host. All, all of your friends gathered there, as well as sort of all the influential and interesting people in the community gathered with you at this party. It was going to be amazing. That's what the man at throwing this banquet is offering his guests. Everything that they want, everything they could need, the perfect party. And the invitations had gone out, the RSVPs had come in, 
time passes, preparations are being made, the caterer is secured, all the rentals are taken care of, the, the tents are set up, the DJ is booked, everything is ready. And after feverish preparation, the moment has finally come. The banquet is ready. It's, it's time for it to happen. And so a servant is sent out to tell the people who have been invited, it's time for the banquet. This is a truly personal invitation. A person showed up. You've RSVP'd, but a person is showing up at your door saying, now it's ready. Come. And this was a practice that was, was common among the upper class at this time, that they would send a servant to your home when the, when the banquet was ready. And then we read at the beginning of verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. When the servant shows up to tell them the feast is ready, they all alike began to make excuses. Uh, they had RSVP'd, yes, but when the moment came for them to actually celebrate at the party, they weren't willing to come. And we'll talk a lot more about that in a moment, but I just want to reflect here briefly because, because Jesus wants more than an RSVP. And I think this can happen to us with Jesus sometimes. That we sort of think that, that really what the life of faith is, is all about is just kind of checking yes on an RSVP form. And that's, that's really all that Jesus wants from us. That he just wants us to check yes. Yeah, Jesus, I think I'd like to come to your party. But when it comes time to, to actually alter anything in our lives, to actually go to the party, to actually follow him into the life that he's invited to, we, we aren't willing. And we all alike begin to make excuses. See, we, we can reject Jesus because we're too busy for him and what he loves. You see, we haven't really understood the invitation. If all we think that Jesus wants, all that we think he requires is an RSVP. And all too often, while we may RSVP, yes, when, when the moment comes, we find ourselves unable or unwilling to follow through. Why is that? Well, it's because I think we have a yes disorder. Because we have a yes disorder. What do I, what do I mean by that? Well, well, two things. First, sometimes we, we just say yes to the wrong things. We're saying yes to bad things in our lives. We, we've committed our lives to things that, that aren't good, that aren't healthy to us, um, that, that are somehow are intrinsically putting us at odds with Jesus. So, so for example, imagine that you're, you're, you're trapped in an addiction to, to alcohol or food or drugs or gambling or pornography or something like that. that there's these choices that you've made. They've put you in this, this trap of addiction. And, and we don't attend Jesus' banquet because we're eating a banquet in the grave. There's a great book on addictions by that title, Banquet in the Grave. We're saying yes to the wrong things. And let me just say this morning, if, if that's you, if you find yourself in that place, trapped in that place today, please reach out to one of us, one of your pastors, to me or to, to John or Anna Lynn or Paul. There is hope. And we can help you find it. We'd love to help you find it. But most of the time, for most of us, it isn't so much that we're saying yes to wrong things. Rather, we're saying yes to the right things, but in the wrong order. 
isn't that we're saying yes to wrong things, bad things, but we're, we're saying yes to the right things, but we're saying yes to the right things in the wrong order. And so a yes to a, a yes disorder can manifest itself in, in saying yes to the wrong things, but it can also simply mean that our yeses are disordered, that we're saying yes to them in the wrong order. This is what we see in the excuses that, that the invitees to the party in the story give to the servant when he calls them to the banquet. Because as we'll see in a moment, as we look at each of their excuses, it isn't that they're, the things that they're going to do instead of the banquet are, are bad things. They're just things that they've said yes to in the wrong order. They've misprioritized. And a wrongly ordered yes, in the end, is a strongly worded no to something else. In the end, a wrongly ordered yes is a strongly worded no to something else. So take a look at at verses 18 through 20. Jesus continues telling the story. He says, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have, brought a f- I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another says, Well, I, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I can't come. He doesn't even ask to be excused. The first person makes an excuse that they've purchased a field and that now they must go out and see it. And again, there's, there's nothing wrong with buying a field. No, no commands in here against that. There's nothing wrong with buying a field. Uh, nothing wrong with going out to look at a field. But with a little cultural understanding, uh, you begin to realize quickly what a, what a lame excuse this really is. Because while it's certainly conceivable that someone in the first century would have purchased a piece of land having never seen it before, um, it's highly unlikely. Just, it's just as unlikely today that you would you know, call your friend right before his wedding and say, hey, you know, I can't make it. I just closed on a house. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't toured it. No inspections have been done yet, um, but I just closed on it and I, I've got to go see it now because it's, it's mine. It's like, no, right? The same thing in the first thing. If you're going to buy a piece of property, a piece of land, you would have negotiated on the price, inspections. You would have surveyed every part of it. You would have known it really well before you made the purchase. And so this guy, he's seen the land. He doesn't need to go right in this moment to see the land. He would have seen it lots of times before. And he's known about this banquet for a long time. Same same thing with the, the second excuse. The the person says, I've just purchased five teams of oxen and I need to go try them out. Again, purchasing oxen, not a bad thing. Testing oxen out, perfectly good thing to do. Um, but it, again, with a little cultural understanding, you realize how lame an excuse this is. Because again, when you were purchasing a team of a yoke of oxen, it was important to understand how the two animals were going to work together. This is, you maybe even heard this kind of phrase of being unequally yoked. Well, that, that, where that comes from is the idea if you have two oxen that aren't equally paired, you know, if one's bigger, one's smaller, one's stronger, one's younger, older, if you, they aren't paired, they're not going to plow well together because one of them's going to be stronger and pulling the, the plow to one side or one of them's going to wear out faster than the other, so you have to stop in the middle. So it was important that you inspected the oxen, that you kind of tested them out together, see how they matched up. 
But again, if he just purchased them, he doesn't need to go try. He would have done that a lot before he would have ever purchased them. Again, it's like you wouldn't call your friend before the wedding and say, I just bought a car in Craigslist. Haven't seen it yet. Haven't test driven it. Haven't taken it to a mechanic. I got to go find out if this thing's working or not. No, this is is a completely lame excuse. And again, a, a disordered yes to a good thing actually becomes an insulting no to the one throwing the party. And finally, the third person asks to be excused because they have just gotten married. Again, getting married, it's a good thing. Spending time with your spouse, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. But with a little cultural understanding, you realize how insulting this is. And, and actually, uh, scholars point out that how this is framed in, in the original language, the way that construction is, it's almost a little bit crude. It almost could kind of bring across this idea of, hey, I've just gotten married and I'm still too busy consummating it to come to your party. I mean, that's kind of the sense. Again, a disordered yes to a good thing becomes an insulting no to the giver of the feast. And I think for most of us here this morning, the hard work of making room for Jesus and what he loves in our lives is going to be a matter of reordering our yeses. Sure, there's some stuff we're going to have to say no to in our lives. But for most of us, it's going to be reordering the yeses. And there are three big categories in this parable that Jesus gives. Three really good things. But if we say yes to them in the wrong order, if we say yes to them ahead of Jesus, that they put us in a bad place. And those are possessions, work, and relationships. Possessions, work, and relationships. Possessions, like the the land that the first person made an excuse about. Land is a good thing. Possessions are a good thing. God made the material world. I think sometimes as Christians we can have this kind of view that material world or possessions or having things is bad. It's not. God made the world of abundance and, and beauty and productivity and it's a good thing to have things. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having good things, having nice things. It's not against God's will. But we must always be aware that in saying yes to possessions, which we should say yes to, that we're not somehow also saying no to the life that Jesus has invited us to. And the same is true with work. The man who's buying these oxen in the story, I mean, he's investing in his business. He's going to be more productive as a, as a farmer because he has this new equipment to, to work with and produce. And that's a good thing. We were created for work. Putting our effort and our all into the work that we've been given, whether at home or on the job site or in the office, is part of God's good design. It's what we're supposed to be doing. But we can so easily say yes to work first and in so doing say no to Jesus. Relationships as well. We're made in the image of a triune God. The God who is in himself relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in relationship from all of eternity, one God, three persons. Relationship is the essence of reality. 
We're made in God's image for relationship with him, for relationship with one another. They're really good things. They're vital things, in fact. Relationships with classmates and, and friends, families, coworkers, spouses. Really good things. Some of the very best things. But as is the case with all good things, especially really good things, they are most in danger of becoming ultimate things, of things that we say yes to ahead of Jesus. So, so what in your life makes you say to Jesus' invitation, please have me excused? Please excuse me. What in your life makes you say, Jesus, I'd love to, but. And you, and you know those things, they always feel so important in the moment. I know they do in my life. But when you sort of start to name them and say them out loud, they start feeling as lame as the other excuses that were given in the parable. You know, I'd, I'd love to, Jesus, but I'm really into the crown right now. And, uh, and I've got to finish uh, binge-watching season two this, this weekend. Or, I'd, I'd love to, Jesus, but I, I really need to spend this last 22 minutes before I go to bed uh, looking at Facebook. So maybe tomorrow night. Or, you know, I'd love to, Jesus, but, but travel sports make it really tough right now. So, so maybe next time. Or I, I'd love to, Jesus, but my, my inbox, I mean, I've, it's just, I've got to get these emails out, so, so not today. Or, you know, I'd love to, Jesus, but, um, you know, I've got to finish building my, my hipster chic, look like I didn't try, but I actually tried super hard, best ever two-year-old birthday um, Pinterest board tonight. So um, I, I just, not tonight, I can't. And again, none of those things are inherently bad. Those are good things. Facebook, the crown, Pinterest, work, travel, all those things are good things. None of them is inherently a bad thing. And saying yes to them ahead of Jesus in the moment never feels like a big rejection. But here's the thing. Our lives are made up of those little moments. There isn't a life that you somehow live outside of those moments. Like those moments, those are your life. Uh, author Paul Tripp writes, he says, You and I live in little moments. And if God doesn't rule in our little moments and doesn't work to recreate us in the middle of it, there is no hope for us. The little moments of life are profoundly important precisely because they are the little moments that we live in and that form us. Those moments, they are our life. Here's how the writer Annie Dillard puts it. She puts it so brilliantly. She says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour or that one is what we are doing there's no shortage of good days, she's right. Is good lives that are hard to come by. So, so your vocation, your work, it isn't the problem. But if you say yes to it first, it will cause you to say no to Jesus and what he loves. 
Your possessions aren't the problem. But if you say yes to them first, they will cause you to say no to Jesus and what he loves. Uh, your relationships aren't the issue. But if, they say, but if you say yes to them first, they will cause you to say no to Jesus and what he loves. To begin to reorder our yeses. It's not that we're saying yes to wrong things. For most of it, I really believe it's not. But that we've said yes to them in the wrong order. So one next step in beginning to say yes to Jesus first, I think, is to, to make a habit of, this is just dull, mundane stuff, but it's so transforming, to make a habit of just planning your day and your week regularly, being intentional about what you're going to do. Plan your day, plan your week regularly, because you see, our time is such an indication of our priorities, of what we're saying yes to, of the order we're saying yes to it in, of what we're saying no to. And maybe a start here at the beginning of the year is just even to pick a week and just say, I'm going to actually, rather than trying to even work about planning this week, I'm just going to record on the kind of in a, a reporting way. I'm just going to write down everything I've done this week. I'm just going to kind of keep track, a little time map of each day. What have I, how did I actually spend my time? And then ask yourself, is this how I want to spend my days? Because how you spend your days is how you spend your life. Time is our most finite resource, and yet it is the one that we typically give the least thought to. If you want some extra money, you can try and go out and find a second job or, you know, post, you know sell some stuff on eBay. I mean, there's ways to get extra money, but you, you can't earn extra time. All you can do is say yes to Jesus first. And then with the wisdom of friends and thoughtful companions on the journey, seek to make choices that and continually and increasingly reflect Jesus and what he loves. And what does Jesus love? Well, specifically, one of the things that the Bible is so clear that he loves is, is his church. The Bible says that Jesus thinks about the church, calls the church, uses the metaphor of the bride, the bride who he loves. If we love what Jesus loves, then we'll love the church because it's his, his bride that he loves desperately. Have you made the life of the, of the church, the local church, central to your yeses? I know many of you have. Have you ever considered making Sunday morning the most non-negotiable time slot on your calendar? See, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So why is it that we, and I put myself right in the middle of that we, why is it then that we so often make so lame choices about how we spend our days? Well, I think it's often because we don't understand what we're missing. Jesus continues in the parable in verse 21, he says, uh, so the servant came and reported these things to the master. He reported all these excuses. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the crippled and blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there's room. There's more room in this party. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges the alleys and the street corners. 
and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of the men who are invited shall taste my banquet. When the first people who are invited to the banquet don't come to the party, Jesus, the master in the story, he doesn't cancel the party. He doesn't be like, well, no one's coming. I guess we're not having it. No, the party is going to happen. The show must go on. Everything's ready. There's going to be a party. And so the master says, invite everyone. Invite everyone. Even those who don't think they're worthy. That's why, you need to notice in verse 23, this kind of odd language. It says, the master said, go to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges. And he says, and compel, compel people to come in. Why is it that the servant has to compel the people to come in? Because when he's going to the, the alleys, the street corners, these are people who would not be invited to this kind of a party. He's going to have to convince them. The servant's going to have to convince them, no, this, he really does want you to come. I know that no one's ever invited you to something like this before, but he wants you to come. You have to come. See, that's what Jesus does in the gospel. He invites every single one of us, no matter how often we've rejected him, no matter how often we have said yes to other things before him, he is inviting you. This is a party that everyone is invited to, no matter what. Is that what our parties look like, by the way? Is that, is that what our church looks like? Is everyone invited, including the unpopular and the awkward? Because believe it or not, this can, this can be a real problem in churches, actually, that you have groups and cliques and, and people who are left out who are not invited to things. You see, when Jesus, when he throws a party, when he, he has something, he invites, everyone's invited, everyone. And he's pleading with you to come, to join him at the feast. No matter who you are, what you've done, whether you've been away from church for a long time, whether you've just come, whether, no matter what, he wants you to come. He's pleading with you to come join the feast. And at this feast, what's on the menu? What's on the menu when you sit down at the banquet? Forgiveness is on the menu. Community is on the menu. Joy is on the menu. Rest is on the menu. All of this is offered to you at the feast that Jesus is inviting you to come. He's compelling you, come. It's for you. And all that's available to you without earning or having to prove yourself to be good enough to be at the party. Because Jesus, the master of the feast, has given himself as a sacrifice to pay for it all, to welcome you in. And that's why we celebrate communion every single week here at the Brookside campus. It's a little tiny foretaste of the feast. A little piece of bread dipped in a little bit of juice does not constitute a feast, right? But it's a picture, it's a symbol of the great feast that we're invited to. The one that we can begin to taste even now as we walk in life with Jesus and that we will taste fully one day in the new heavens and the new earth. We celebrate communion in order to remind ourselves of the feast.
And Jesus is inviting you to come. He wants you at the party. And so in a moment here, I'll give you just a few instructions on how you can come and celebrate communion. Um, also during this time, if you would like, uh, we have people available to pray with you near the sound booth. There's a, a sign that says prayer. There'll be people back there. You know, you can certainly fill out a prayer card, but if you'd like someone to pray with you today, um, you can go to the, the prayer uh, area, and we'd love to pray with you this morning. Well, let me just give you a few instructions on communion. There's uh, four stations around the room. There's two in the back, and then there's two here in the front. And when uh, the servers are in place in a moment, just come and gather in groups of six or seven or eight around the server. Take the bread, dip it into the juice, and then partake together once everyone has done that. If you need gluten-free communion almonds, those are available uh, at this uh, station uh, in the back on this side, so you can make your way there. Also, you don't have to be an official member of Christ's community to celebrate communion with us. If you have received Jesus' invitation to come to the feast, to come to the party, then come. Come. And taste and celebrate. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that before. You've never received the invitation before. Maybe today you do that for the first time. You come and receive communion as, as, as your way of, of stepping out and saying, I want to come. I, I believe Jesus' invitation that he actually wants me, that he desires me, and I want to give my life to him. Also, uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure about the invitation yet. Let me just tell you, that's, that is okay. We're really glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. We want to help you understand the invitation. I hope you recognize this whole room is filled with people who aren't perfect, but who are learning to follow Jesus more fully into that invitation. But if this morning you're not ready to do that yet, that is okay. Um, you don't have to come and receive. Um, but when your row gets up, you can just slip back in or go get some more coffee. I don't want to think that was odd or weird. We're just really glad that you're here with us this morning. Well, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, the night that he was going to go to the cross, he gave his disciples bread. He took bread and he broke it after blessing it. And he said, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave the cup to all of them and said, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So come now when you're ready to taste, to touch the good news of the gospel, the good news of the forgiveness of sins. Once the servers are in place, come and sample a tiny sample of the feast.